your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap because you're an american express platinum guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through amex travel which means a 4 p.m checkout and those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com designed for work. Canva. Hello. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hey, good day. Nice to see you there, Max. Nice to be seen, you guys. Nice to be seen. I understand you taped a interview in person, which to me is such an extravagant and uh, anxiety-provoking uh, experience. <laughs> Who did you talk to? Well, I'll tell you, Aaron. There's a, uh, there's a twist in this interview, uh, which I will not reveal now, but it does connect to anxiety. Hey, and uh, we try. It's an anxiety-ridden interview, uh, although with a very unanxious person, Sam Fergoso, who is the host of the Talk Easy podcast. It's an interview show. He talks to actors, musicians, writers. He has, over the last couple of years, started talking to politicians. Sam is 28, lives in L.A. He's been doing this for seven years. He started when he was 21. The show books absolutely incredible guests like a-list 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 people after it provokes my envy whoever is booking that show is doing a great job there's definitely a significant chunk of this interview where i'm just like how the fuck are you doing it man (laughs) the answer is an incredible amount of persistence but also part of the way that he gets these people to come on is that uh he is just an incredibly incredibly prepared and thoughtful interviewer and as you guys know Sometimes on this show, I like to talk to people about how they do interviews. And uh, while it was anxiety-inducing in ways that you will soon hear, it was also a real pleasure to talk to him about how he thinks about having these conversations, which is um, pretty profound, actually. The show is produced in partnership with Vox Media. They help us out in all kinds of ways. So thanks to everyone over there at Vox. And now here's Max with Sam Fragoso. Hi, Sam. Hi, Max. Welcome to the podcast. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for doing it, man. It's a uh, Sunday afternoon. I don't think I've taped on a Sunday in five years. Is that because you've professionalized? (laughs) It's a nine to five for you now? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I I, I play basketball on Sundays. Oh, I didn't know you were a basketball player. One to 3.30. I I lost my basketball game, my Sunday basketball game in the pandemic. oh, Oh, I see. Not Not... You actually don't have the game anymore, but you can still play if, yeah. if asked to play. Yeah, but it, my, the game, which was a beautiful game that had been played in uh, Carroll Gardens for like 20 years. Oh, wow. Everyone would bring their kids, and uh, there was like a room off the court 
that we would fill with pads, and we called it the fun zone. <laughs> For the kids. And you just chuck your kids wow. in the fun zone and then play basketball on Sunday mornings. It was, it was actually like my favorite thing. And then I, I look forward to it, which is why I don't podcast on Sundays. Yeah, all right. But if I'm going to have to, it's with you. It means a lot. It means a lot coming from you. Um, how do you like to start these things, Sam? Um, I like to start them by doing the job that you're doing, which is uh, doing the interview. <laughs> you, you like to ask the questions, not yeah, answer like the to, questions? Uh, yeah, I don't want to answer them, but I'm going to. Um, how do I start them? I try to get the small talk out pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I dive right in because I usually don't have all the time in the world. Do you have like the first question planned? I have every question planned. Really? It's all scripted. No, it's not. Yes, it is. <laughs> Come on. I can show you the outlines. You have the whole thing mapped. Yeah. Three acts and an epilogue. But I'll deviate. Sure. I, I mean, if someone goes a certain way or I can tell from the jump, they don't want that. You know, I'll improvise. How do you tell if they're not in for your Sometimes plan? they'll say something like, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, body language. Yeah, you just pick up on it? Yeah, I pick up on it. Do you know to bail early? <laughs> I haven't had to bail on a full plan in four or five years. You bail on, on bits and pieces of the plan. Uh huh. You can hear it when they answer a certain question a certain way. Or there's something they're not talking about that I know they've talked about before that perhaps they don't want to today. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll push if I feel like I need to, but yeah, it's all planned. And you haven't had to really... This is all planned too, right? Totally, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I got the whole outline right here. I never know what your process is. Well, we're talking about your process. Mm-hmm. I'm so curious about your process because my opinion is that you're very, very good at this. And I wonder a little bit about prep. So if you're going in with three acts and an epilogue, what do you try and do in the epilogue? Well, I include an epilogue. It's really just my way of like extending the third act. Mm-hmm. But the third act usually is, is the dismount. So it's the last 20 minutes where it has to go like you got to leave soon. You can't leave on an ellipsis. Uh-huh. So, like, I start kind of winding things down. This feels all very abstract, the way I'm describing it. No, no, no. Not, I mean, not to me. Okay. You have to find some kind of closure final note. Yes. But you're saying you know when you walk in what you want that note to be? I have, like, a few ideas of mm-hmm. how things should end. In fact, I'm thinking about how this is going to end. Like, I've already started to – what I think we could do. Oh, yeah? Yeah, well, you're, we're, you're, we're doing like a weird meta conversation, structure within the structure. But <laughs> I have a few buttons that I'm ready to use. But if those buttons don't actually align with what's happened for the last hour, uh huh. you know, then I got to find it. You're not going to press those buttons. In the room. Yeah, no, I won't do it. Do you have a similar structure to the axe? Like, is it uh, childhood, the mm-hmm. work, and then... Depends on the person. Usually the beginning goes, this is a new thing you have. I'm contractually obligated to talk about it, just out of respect for at least 10 minutes. Hopefully it's something I like that they've done. Sometimes it's not. But there's a new thing they have to kind of you know, promote and put in the world. How often do you guys keep that in? The show is deeply edited. I think this is probably the thing that people don't 
think of when they think of the show. Yeah, it's, so the episodes are like an hour long. Yeah, they're between like 45 and 58 mm-hmm. usually. You don't want to cross that 60-minute barrier. It, in, unless it's really good. And this is a general rule. If it's past an hour, it's one that we're like, it's worth it. It earned it. It earned it. Yeah. Yeah, There's the, the, but it, that's hard to do. But we tape for like 90 minutes. So we're cutting sometimes half the thing. I ask a little bit because yeah. I, I can't think of a ton of instances that start with the like promotional tour. We get pretty quick into the things that I'm interested in. Does anyone ever react like that's a move? Or do people come on now and they know what the deal is? I don't know if they know what the deal is. I think sometimes they know what the deal is. It's really helpful when people come on and they've listened. Yeah. Because then I don't have to... I don't have to spend 20 minutes convincing them that this isn't like a colossal waste of their time. Mm-hmm. But I still usually have to do that. When you have to do that, what does it look like to convince them? <laughs> it basically, like demonstrate competence right away. Yeah. So it's going to be a quote that they have. It's a thing that they did 28 years ago that like their mother barely remembers. Yeah. That way they know, like I've done the work to show up for you mm-hmm. and I'm asking you to now show up with me together so that people listening aren't bored to tears. That's my experience too. Like certainly when we were starting doing these interviews and people that just had no idea what it was. Who was the first guest? Matt Akins. Mm-hmm. But I remember for a long time, actually, it would be really helpful. These writers would come on the show. They would have never heard it before. They'd have no idea. But yet they said yes for some reason. And I do want to ask you about how you get people to say yes. Yeah, okay. But they would come on and then I'd be like, you know, I read this Esquire story that you wrote in 91 that I found like in the archives at the library. Yes. And all of a sudden they just sit up. That's right. That's right. Because you went to the library. Yeah. I just believe in like going the extra mile. I, I don't like wasting people's time. So I want to show that I went there for them. But I, I remember in the early episodes, um, I don't know. I think like you even convinced Renata Adler to do it and, and she sounded game. And I think you demonstrated that you had read her work you you went back into the archives no, you're is, talking about me i thought you were gonna talk about you i am gonna talk about you because that is one of the early episodes of the show that you made that made me go oh i think i can do something like this oh yeah that was a huge one the liz gilbert one that you did a huge one i took all kinds of things from from those and put them into talk easy when did you start the show 2016 <laughs> yeah 2016 how long had you been wanting to do it before you started i i the day before I mean really? yeah I was not I, I was doing interviews you didn't before have like that. a um, three act structure for your podcast career the structure remains only on mic <laughs> once once we're off all bets are off what does that mean I mean I, you know I don't I don't know about planning your life especially work wise this whole industry is so precarious I don't know how you could say in five years I'm gonna be here I think you have some aims but I was doing interviews before the podcast. But it was different to say, this is a show with yeah. me. Like, uh, putting your name in the title is different than, like, you were freelancing. You were doing yes. interviews in print, right? So the, the, real, the real way this came to be was that I was hired for reasons I still don't totally understand to be the creative director of this art house theater in San Francisco called uh-huh. The Roxy. Uh-huh. And... 
their idea was we're going to hire a 20-year-old to save like the oldest institution, <laughs> the oldest art house institution in California. It's like 88 years old. There's a photo of me on like the cover of the Chronicle or the, the art section of the Chronicle. I look like such a twerp. <laughs> like I can't tell you how embarrassing this was. So I was 20, 21, and I was doing the job, and then I realized five months into the job, I am not good at this job. <laughs> what, what gave you that idea? Um, so one reason I knew I wasn't good at it was because my coworkers would sometimes say, you're not very good at this job. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't. No, sometimes they did have some choice words. <laughs> but the point of the story is the one thing that I got to do besides program movies and host these events, which was really fun, was that I got to do Q&As on stage three times a night, five times a week. It's a lot of interviews. Yeah, and, and in front of people in an audience where you're just it, it's deeply embarrassing. Sometimes like no one shows up to the movie, Yeah, but the director has come like from out of state, <laughs> and you got to be like, we tried. We, did you still do the Q&As? Of course. Yeah. Like, did you ever do a Q&A to a truly empty room? I did a live show in South by Southwest to three people oh. with Janixa Bravo, and uh, it was horrifying. Oh, man. It was 8 a.m. on like a Saturday. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Makes my stomach hurt. It was so bad. It was so bad. Oh. But anyway, so I figured I liked that, though. Yeah. You know, when I preferred when people were there, to mm -hmm. be clear. Mm -hmm. But I, I liked doing it. I, I thought, oh, I could, I think I could do it on mic. Mm -hmm. I had done a lot of interviews um, in print before that, which had gone pretty well. Yeah. But I saw that the print journalism was, it was just winnowing and winnowing, and it was just, it wasn't going to happen. I, I could see it. So, according to this story, you decided in one day that you were going to do this, and no, just suddenly. I mean, maybe it was like, no, I probably worked on it for a couple months mm -hmm. before we launched it. But what the show was then, I don't think in any way resembles what it is now. I really don't. I Tell me about the differences. One, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> in fact, I was bad, sort of meandering, and my voice was really strange, but it, it's because I had like this, and I had to have like deviated septum surgery, and I couldn't actually breathe out of my nose. Like it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So I sound strange. I was 21. I didn't come prepared. I didn't know what I wanted. But there was something there, I think. I mean, I don't know. You you believed in it long before most people did. So what the hell did you say? I don't know. I didn't I don't think I heard any of the, you know, whatever your criticisms are, meandering or unprepared. You seemed very prepared to me. And I mean, I guess the thing that I remember is like there was no question ever at any point listening to the early episodes that you gave a shit. Like you really cared and that I think is like a not insignificant part of anything in audio like I just think it's almost impossible to fake that what people keep trying to over and over again I mean there's a reason there's shows that it's like grand opening grand closing I I, I this is like the one requirement I mean I don't think there are a lot of examples of successful shows in which the person you're listening to didn't care yeah, I don't know any of those. Yeah, I don't think that works. And so that also can mean that it works even if you're still figuring out 
you know, some of the like moves you want to make or whatever. Yeah, I gave a shit. Some sometimes to a fault. What do you mean? What does that look like? I think desperate and and uh... yeah, that's part of the charm, though. <laughs> So you picked up on the desperation. Well, I think there's like a combination of thirstiness and ambition. And so I'm surprised to hear you say like, I didn't, well, what was I trying to do? Because to me, it felt ambitious. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably right. What I mean is within the confines of the actual interview, I didn't always know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what my aims were conversationally. Did I want the show to do well? Yeah, but... Of course, I kind of had nothing else, man. Mm-hmm. Like I, I put it on credit cards. I didn't have like money. I was broke, yeah. so I was like doing these writing gigs to supplement <laughs> some kind of income. How were you making the show? Mostly by myself, and mostly with people like volunteering to help for free. But I wasn't. Yeah, I was in debt. So yeah, I gave a shit, and and some of that desperation probably came from like wow, this credit card bill is really not good. I got to figure something out, you know? And that took time, a lot of time. When did you feel like you had it figured out? I think in 2020, obviously when all of our lives were upended, I remember I had a conversation with, with our producer and I was like, why would we keep making this in a pandemic? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to have actors and directors and musicians on in this moment like to me i was like that who needs that what is the utility of that mm-hmm. so i really thought like i think the show's done and then i think we found like what if we pivoted like what if yeah what if we did have like dr jaw on to explain what was happening with covid what if we had noam chomsky on to explain the kind of like global capitalistic implications what what if we expanded the scope of what was very much a film tv focused show Mm -hmm. and the moment we did that i remember as painful and crushing as the pandemic was especially to like work through it every week i remember thinking like oh i think we figured this out i think the show always needed to be the scope needed to be broadened yeah, yeah broadened and you know what? The moment we did that, I was like, we're never going back. Like, huh. I, I'm never going to go back to the show where we have seven actors on in two months. And did that feel like a stakes thing to you? Or was that about your own my curiosity? Own interest. Yeah, my own interest. I wouldn't want to listen to a show that's only film focused anymore. Uh-huh. If I don't want to listen to it, then I don't want to make it. So I just, I don't know. I just felt like if I'm not going to, I think maybe that's the The question is, the big aim, I probably like it's too grandiose, but I always go back to like Studs Terkel, mm-hmm. and I think what's so amazing is like the wide array of subjects, mm-hmm. and his interest in like the person driving the cab, and James Baldwin, and the fact that you could hold all of that in in one show. I don't know. That seems right to me. And I would love to do more things like that. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's it's still, I would say, like the minority of episodes are outside creative work. Yeah. And, and that's that's kind of a booking problem. But I mean, as an I ask, they just say no. Like yeah. I ask a lot of politicians to come on. Yeah. I, I, I've asked all kinds of 
people in all kinds of professions. We just get a lot of no's. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Let's talk about booking for a second because there are some things about your show that are not mysterious to me. Like referencing an early work early on to get someone to pay attention. But the booking okay. is mysterious. You've got an amazing people. It seems like it's always amazing people. And that's been one of my experiences listening to the show for the last couple of years. I'm just like, damn, that guy, that guy's like a, the biggest movie star in the world coming on to talk about his feelings for an hour. <laughs> like that doesn't seem like things that those yeah. people do. How are you getting these insanely famous and <laughs> Very often, incredibly reticent people oh. to come on and talk to you in this way. Um, I'm trying to think of reticent. Who is reticent? Yeah, maybe some of them are reticent. I don't know. I think there's a lot of people who've come on the show who have talked to you in a way that they do not otherwise talk publicly. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think that is true. So how do you get them? What does booking look like? And like, actually, like in a kind of technical way. How in do you a technical do way. Okay, so... I feel like I'm asked this like every week, but but usually not in a like kind way that you're doing. More in a, but really like, what do you do? Like, <laughs> it, like have you like slept with people? Like, are you prostituting yourself? What's happening? Yeah, it's like, uh, say, have you paid these people? What's going on? And here? then and then the, then it's like you're your family. Like, okay, who's your? I'm like, well, my dad. He is. It's true. My dad is a middle school teacher <laughs> in inner city Chicago. I mean, Mexico. the connections. Just yeah, start. I mean, the connections uh, uh, are a, a plenty. Yeah. So with all of that help, booking's hard. I, I, I think the real answer is oh, we ask a lot. Mm-hmm. We ask a lot often. And you ask a lot of people often, or you ask the same people a lot. Both. Both. Though less so on the first. Now we don't. We don't ask. As many people as we used to, just because we have 52 episodes a year, and we're pitched a lot more than we used to get pitched. We used to like never get pitched, and then that that radically changed probably, probably like two years ago. But I'm thinking back on the episodes of last year. It's like Margaret Atwood, David Byrne, Questlove. Yeah, yeah. I've been asking them for four years. <laughs> Every year on the dial. That's your rhythm once a year? No. I mean, that, sometimes more. You know, you don't want to ask really more than two or three times a year. But that's that's what I would do. 
for a long time. We still do it like that. We just don't let go. What do those follow-up asks look like? I do probably approach it a little bit like a case, which is like we're we're, we're making the case. Mm -hmm. And the case is we have mutual people who've come on the show that they've either worked with or I know that they respect. And the third thing is we have enough testimonials now from people that are like, this show's pretty good. And if my words in an email fall short, then I think we just defer to other people's words. You literally send like sometimes. testimonials? Sometimes, yeah. Because fuck my email, who cares? It's Do you much- call in favors? Um, Maybe two or three times a year. Uh-huh. If if I, but I'm really bad at asking for them. It, it makes me very anxious. I mean, I asked you for help on one, and, and you helped. What was that? Anna Sale. Oh yeah. Um, that was early. Early. It was early. early. Yeah, I'm much better at like when you asked me for like some help when you were making your show, Seventy Over Seventy. Yeah. I was like, great. If I like the person, like, take it. Like, I don't care. I'm just not so good at asking for that, and I feel anxious and. A little like, I don't want people to think I'm using them. And I don't, I don't know, I don't like that whole deal. But what I've found is that the moment you ask for help, if the person likes you, they're happy to do it. But the process is an ordeal and painstaking. How much time of yours does that take? Well, thankfully, our team, Caroline Reebok, who's the lead producer, and uh, Caitlin Dryden, the associate producer, are doing more of the asking. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do it as much. But I'm still on the emails, and I still have to sometimes like try to bully people into doing it, which I don't like to do. I don't know. I just I believe in the show, and I know if like energetically I'm gonna get along with someone or if it's work that I really respect. I know, I know it's not gonna be a waste of their time. Yeah. So that alleviates some of my anxiety about asking again because what I'm asking for. It's a thing that's going to be good. I know that. So, I don't know. To me, it's like it's not about me. It's about the it's about the work. So I, I can kind of separate it, the, the shame of that I may feel. You do almost always talk to people who you love in some way. Like, people whose work you respect – I can't think of any episodes where it was someone that you didn't seem to hold in high regard mm. in one way or another. Does that sound right or, or no? Yeah, I think I, I fall in love in the process of research. Mm-hmm. So like the week that I'm diving into their work, I'm so like enveloped that I find something to love Yeah, about about everyone that comes on. And have you ever had the experience that the thing you found in the research didn't show up in the room? Absolutely. And then something else showed up in the room. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, right, that didn't that didn't translate on the page. <laughs> that wasn't in the New York Times profile. But you find something else to love. Yeah. I mean, love maybe is a little strong. I sure. Mean, I, that, I, that I think is worth rallying around. That is worth standing behind and, and platforming. Yeah, I think so. But I'm also, that's also the selection process of the show. Right. Like, we say no to things maybe we some, sometimes shouldn't say no to that I just can't see will be a good hour. You can't find it. I, in my head, I'm like, I don't like the things they've made. Yeah. They seem like nice people. They may be really famous, 
but fame is not interesting on its own, at least to me. It's almost never what you talk about. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't really care. And I don't know how in 2023, as like we have a kind of like fractured economy that could at any moment implode and is maybe already imploding, how anyone would want to make a show squarely solely about rich people. At least I, I just don't, I didn't come up that way. So I, I think I feel like, well, we're not going to do an hour on like, what's it like to, you know, have to own those three homes? <laughs> what's it like to be famous? I, you know. But I mean, it is also the case that lots of people that you talk to have three homes. Absolutely. So I try to tap into the person usually before they bought those homes. Mm-hmm. I try to stay with the kernel of the thing that got them in this work in the first place and tap back into that. Sometimes, you know, their hearts have been so calcified that, like, you can't. Yeah. But maybe I'm just, like, talking myself into it now. But that's the approach. The approach is to help them tap back into that. Yeah, I mean, it's easier if they have just made a piece of art that we can both be, like, good stuff. Yeah. You know? Like, David Sedaris came on. David Sedaris has written a lot of books, you know? When you do anything a lot, it's not always great. He's a genius. I really liked his last book. It made it really easy for me to be like, great, we can talk about everything. But if someone has made something that I don't really, it's hard for me to fake it. I'm not a good, I'm not a good liar. Do you ever kill episodes? No. I mean, there's been a couple that I would like to, but we couldn't. Yeah. Because we needed to put out an episode. Right. And did those just not quite reach that place? <laughs> not only did they not reach that place, they they reached no place. Uh, sometimes they, they don't go anywhere. And someone's in such a bad mood that there's nothing you can do. Like, yeah. Especially over Zoom in the pandemic where we had a couple that you're just like, they do not want to be here. And you're like, well... Why did you say yes to this? <laughs> I know that feeling, though, of like you show up, particularly on Zoom, and it's just like, oh, either this is going to be really hard yeah, or not get there. Do you connect with people like that in the rest of your life? Yes. Yes. But I have to, I've learned to like sometimes close the door on that part of me because I found myself getting to the end of a day just exhausted like emotionally so spent because i i am that person like if i'm in an uber i really don't want to talk but if they start talking like it's over it's over (laughs) like i'm getting the life story last like last night i had it i didn't want to talk but then you know 20 minutes in i'm like great Mm -hmm. i'm hearing about these two kids that have arranged marriages and, and you know, they're telling me about the process of selecting a partner and I'm hearing about all these things and I thought, it's fine, I didn't want to do it, but I'm so glad I did. But I've learned to try to curtail some of that because um, it leaves me worn down. Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, it's tiring to live in that place with everyone. Yeah, but I want to because I'm curious. But sometimes it just, hey, you run out of gas. 
How do you think these interviews you do interact with therapy? We've received emails from therapists that say they hear an influence or, or they say like, who did you go to therapy with? Or, uh-huh. and I've, so I've, I've, I've heard that a lot. But I guess I may be a little reluctant because I don't want the show to be like, <laughs> I don't know, armchair therapy. Yeah, you know, and I and I'm and I'm not a therapist, and I cannot advise. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, I you I are can, not licensed to practice. No, but I can advise to seek counsel, and I I I tell every guest <laughs> really okay, go back go back to the room. No, I don't know, man. I I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just has, it has some crossover with it because it's like you're starting in people's early childhood, and I, I mean, it, it's like a form of creative therapy, which is like trying to figure out what's driving them yes. on some level. I'm good at finding. The inflection points. Mm-hmm. That's basically the whole show is, and you see it in the structure and the outlining, like this happens, then this happens, but like, here's the thing that they don't want to talk about, but I think if we can get there and they trust me by then, yeah. we'll dive in. But I, it's funny because people are always like, who does the research for the show? And we just started having someone help me like do a preliminary like brief. Yeah. It starts in a brief form, which is like 10,000 words organized like chronologically. That's like if Max like went to the bathroom in eighth grade, like right. I know about this. Right. Everything that's like that's public record. But what we found when we had people try to help is that they don't totally know what they're looking for. Uh huh. So there's something, I don't know, I guess I have some like, oh, that's going to be, I don't know, I can always see it pretty far down the road. You can see those inflection points. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes they're obvious. And then you're just kind of putting people in conversation with those moments. I'm trying to build a story. I always equate it to, okay, it's like we're, we're on a road trip. Uh-huh. You know, actually, you know, road trip, this is a short road trip. We're on an hour-long drive. I own the car. <laughs> I'm sitting in the passenger seat, but I am doing the maps. Like I, I'm doing GPS, but they're driving. Mm-hmm. So at some point, if the guest is like, yeah, fuck your map. Like I'm not doing it. Right. I'm taking a left here. I know this way from childhood. Don't tell me how to. Then I'll, okay, great. Well, you you're driving. It. But it's my car. And I do have like some idea of where we're trying to go. But sometimes, you know, they'll take the scenic route. Right. As I just did with that answer. But you know where you got to get to at the end of the hour. I'm trying to. I'm try- I mean, I have some ideas. Is there something you're trying to figure out in the show? I was, just, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, I was trying to figure out what you're, what you're trying to figure out right now. Huh, you got a theory? No, no, no. I'm more thinking about where you're at right now. Like inflection point wise? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And I don't know. I can't, I can't tell. I can't tell if you're having fun. And I have a lot of like, I want to make sure you're having a good time. But also, it's like I'm not the host. Oh, I'm having a great time. Okay, I want to also make sure like I'm I'm answering your questions honestly and and concisely. But I feel like I'm meandering. Oh, I don't think so. I think you're doing great. Okay. Am I being weird? No, I don't know what's going on with you. I can't. I just can't tell. But I also don't know you. <sighs> well, <sighs> something's going on though. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna tell you. Okay. What? Well. I was faced with an interviewer dilemma before we did this. Okay. And I was going to tell you this at the end. 
Uh-huh. But I feel like I feel like you're picking up on it. Yes. So I'm going to tell you. Okay. But it's going to change the course of the interview. Yeah, but it was already guiding the interview because I felt it the whole time. Okay. Well, we'll see where it goes. Now you're is this the first time you're sitting even proper like <laughs> you moved the direction of your body towards me now. All right, I'm just going to tell you, man. I'm just okay. going to tell you. Okay. We're talking on Sunday afternoon. Before this, I was up in my parents' house with my kids and my wife. And uh, we had lunch. And um, my parents have like a, uh, have a freezer. And they keep like the sweet stuff in the freezer. So we had lunch. And then as I've been doing since I was, I don't know, 15 years old, I uh, reached in the freezer, grabbed some, uh, some sweet stuff. And uh, we hit the road. And my family was uh, in the car with me. I was driving. They are going to drop me off here. We're at the uh, office doing this in the studio. And I got like on the FDR. And I started feeling pretty weird. Like really hot. Oh. And I was like wearing like two sweaters or something. Like something felt bad. You know, yeah. like super hot. Because I was having like a great time talking to Meredith. Like we were just like really joking around. I was having a great time, but I felt like physically very weird. That's your wife. That's my wife. Yeah. Okay. And then like by the time we got over the bridge, I was like, All right, something's, something's not great. <laughs> like something is wrong. I think. And I was like, Am I like having a fucking heart attack or something? What the fuck is happening? Like I don't know. I just felt super weird. Yeah. Super weird. And then. I came up here to start setting up the interview and I was like, wait a second. I'm not having a heart attack. I've felt this feeling before. And I called my father and I was like, Hey, is there any chance that you have weed chocolates in the freezer? And he goes, Oh my God. The little round things, the little round things. And I was like, yeah, man, I ate a bunch of those little round things. And he was like, Max, oh my God, oh my God. Last night, I ate like five of those things. I was up all night. I thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't even tell your mother because I was having thoughts I'd never had before. My mind was racing a mile a minute. And the story of what is going on with me finally is that I ate a bunch of weed chocolate. <laughs> Like, a lot. Too much. Oh, man. Like, a couple hours ago. That makes so much more sense. And my dad got me real stoned. That's the point. But he didn't know his wheat chocolate either. I love this. And it's the first time that you have been the max that I, I know and love in this conversation. Oh, come on. No, yeah. You got animated. You got you sat up straight. You, you, you like... We're making eye contact. You, well, I had... I, I, and, and your anxiety just... I just saw it just... Thank God you're telling me this because you've been acting kind of weird. A little weird. Yes, and I'm like, you're, the, I, you're very sociable. You're you're a handsome guy. I uh, good voice. I've been feeling real weird, but I felt like it was kind of fucked up. So one option. This is the interviewer dilemma, right? Yes. All right. So I realized this was happening. You should have led with it. Well, that was my first instinct, but then I felt like that was like kind of disrespectful to you because it, you and I have been in touch for a long time. Yes. And I knew that probably on some level you were like psyched to do this. Of course, yeah. And that it would be shitty to be like, "All right, man, let's do the let's do your interview." Except I'm going to start by telling you I'm ridiculously high. So 
on accident. I, I just want I want to be clear. So the alternative was you're gonna do the interview in a way that's like 65 percent normal max. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to go for a hundred. Of course, you're trying to go for a hundred. But when you're high, no no one even knows what a hundred is at that point. And and instead, you're gonna be kind of anxious and a little strange. And I'm gonna pick up on that and absorb it, knowing that something was off. I honestly was like, I don't think he wants to be here. And you know, oh. no, no, no. Of course, you don't want. Yeah, you don't want to be here like this. Like this is not your ideal scenario where you're high on a podcast. Definitely not. No, this yes. is not my preference. Yes, thankfully, you know, you're doing it with me, you know, and not, you know, some other people that that would be harder to. Um, like they wouldn't like it. They would be mad, probably. Well, that's the thing. I, I wasn't. I didn't think you'd be mad. I just thought it would be like disrespectful. You know. I think it would. I thought it, I. I would have respected the honesty. And uh, I mean, I am 28. I'm. I'm familiar with, with weed gummies. I mean, I'm retired from them. But that's so funny. Wow. You keep asking me like, why do people who are historically reticent come on the show and suddenly seem like something that approximates themselves. Mm -hmm. It's because of this exact thing. Like I can't sit with someone. Like if something's weird in the first 10 minutes, I'm going to say to them, this feels weird. Hey, like what's going on? Yeah. Like what? Like, yeah, I don't want to do it with you because it's your show. Yeah, totally. No, that would have been a very tough thing to do. Although then we would have gone to the story earlier. Definitely. (laughs) But, but you, you you made it clear. Like, you don't get to ask me questions, and this is my program. And I thought, okay, well, then. I, well, I still kind of feel that way. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. But I wasn't going to, I didn't know what to say. So I was just trying to roll with it. Yeah. Well, I feel better having it out in the open, though. <laughs> me too. Well, here's my question for you. This is my, okay. I don't have a three-act structure. I don't have an epilogue. I do have a question, which is probably a version of the question I've been asking you over and over again. Okay. Which is about your ability to connect with people in what is a kind of strange environment, right? Like sitting in a studio with headphones and microphones and whether your big aim, the reason that you keep doing it is because that space that you find with people is intoxicating and beautiful. Oh yeah. That's my question. Best high. Best high. Absolutely. I mean, I haven't tried them all, but I feel one before them, I'm like sick. I I haven't left my house. I haven't seen people. Uh huh. I've never gone out the night before a taping. Never. Really? Not once. Like I haven't even gone to like go get some dinner. Absolutely not. No shit. I, I may go pick you, up dinner. Are you nervous? No, it's just that's not the work I'm interested in. I'm interested in committing. We have an hour together. We may not have another. We're here for a brief moment, and then, uh, you know, we die. And I want this thing to be as good as it can be. And if it's anything less than that, I'm just not interested. I'm just not. So my feeling is I can get dinner when the taping is done. There will be more dinners. There will not be another taping. There will never be at least another uh, first taping. And that, to me is why you keep doing it because that moment and sometimes there's multiple moments but that feeling when you really feel like you've put 
someone's life on the record in a way that is beautiful and painful and idiosyncratic and triumphant and all all the things that make us us or make the person you know the person they are yeah like leaving that taping it's like when it goes well it's like i lost 20 pounds i am never a nicer or happier person than immediately <laughs> after a taping. Like I'm like kind of goofy and yeah. silly and delirious and grateful to be doing this. Like so fucking grateful. Does it ever feel like a scam getting to do it? It, it, it would feel like a scam if I didn't work so hard and if my family didn't work so hard to get here to put me in some position to even kind of do work like this. To me, it's, yeah, like when you have a grandfather who like came here illegally and, you know, had to work like on the, you know, farms in Fresno, like 18 hours, you know, some part of you, especially when I like went to high school in Fresno and like yeah. I'm back there 50 years later, not far from where he had to do this terrible, terrible work away from my grandmother and my, my dad and all this, you know. I feel like it's not a scam, but if I'm not grateful for it, if I can't acknowledge like, holy, holy shit, this is incredible, then I'm an idiot. And to me, as much as I try to like chart my own course, I'm still like inextricably linked to the past. And it's because of that past that I feel like emboldened, but I also feel like indebted yeah. to do a great job. So no, I won't, yeah, like I won't go out and I can't really eat before. And I, yeah, just anxious, anxious. Yeah, I mean, does that manifest as pressure? Yeah, it is pressure, yeah. But the guest does not know that. Mm -hmm. I let it go. Like you, don't, I, you don't leave with it? I have a ritual, you know, I do my things and I, What's your ritual? Well, you know, I just like, I meditate. You know, I, I grew up playing basketball and I do the kind of like jumping up and down, like get the blood pressure, like heart, heart racing. And I just kind of think to myself, like, let it go. It's interesting that you brought up meditation because my experience is that finding that gratitude is a practice. It does not come easily or always to me. Do you feel like you've had to practice it or does it just? I, I think you do have to practice it. Like any good habit, like yeah. any good thing, it, it, it takes you know some maintenance. It may come easier to me than, than other people, but I no, I've, I've had to work on that. And by the way, there's plenty of times where I'm a jackass complaining about the most trivial, banal, superficial, vain things. Does that ever connect to the show? The complaining? The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're describing like a pretty beautiful zend out approach to how to do the work. Again, within the confines of the tape, the thing is pure. Yeah. But what, what it takes to get that person to sit there, to get me to be prepared, there's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of ego management that we do that we have to do and there's a lot of like gotta swallow your pride a lot what does that look like 
you know, being told no 90 times. <laughs> writing people two to three times a year. Yeah, writing letters that are just met with like, sorry, they're unavailable. Okay, well, you know, I'll come back. But I don't care about no's, though. That's the thing. I, I just don't. I'm undeterred by them. So where does the, like, ego and pride swallowing show up? When, you know, like, we've agreed to something that's like, okay, here's the taping, and it's an hour long, and then someone comes in, and they're like, actually, it's going to be 45 minutes, and you got to be like, no, yeah. it's going to be an yeah. hour. Or, you know, I work really hard to, to be ready for the taping, and then I sit down with the person, and the person is uh, not ready. I was going to say high on edibles, but I didn't want to do it to you. <laughs> for example. For, for example. example. But you know, I, I have so much love for you that I, you can you could have been high on whatever. I would have been fine. But, yeah, I, I'm undeterred by no's in that I'll keep coming back. But it hurts. It fucking – it does hurt. Yeah. And it's embarrassing. Well, like – all right, this is a pretty stone question. Okay. But, like, I think part of what I'm asking about is the degree to which talking to people, connecting with people in the way that you do, I think what I'm asking about is, like, is that is that art for you? I think it has to be. If it's not, then what the hell am I doing? I think so. It's artfully made. But it, I'm not talking about the way it's made, man. I'm talking about the thing that happens in the room. Yeah, I think it's art. I'm I'm a little like reluctant to say that because I sound. I asked you. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to sound like so annoyingly pretentious that right. I'm like this podcast is art. But I do let the record show that I said that it was art, <laughs> and I agree with and, you. And that Sam is simply agreeing with me. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think it has to be. Otherwise, I'm just not interested. I do think there's something that happens when it goes right. And do you think that that thing? is something you will want to be chasing forever? Or at some point, oh. does the thing that you're searching for run out, or do you find it? You can't possibly know when you're in love with something, like anything. You're not thinking, wow, like this is going to run out. You may think it's possible, of course, you know, love fades and all that, but... If you're playing the end, then like, what the hell are you even doing? Like, you should just get out of the ring. Like, I, that doesn't work. But I think so long as I remain interested, interested in the work, interested in the people we're sitting with, interested in the show's like evolution, interested in the show getting better. I thank God it's gotten better. Then I'll still want to do it. I don't think it's gonna be my whole life. But I do think something works, and I don't know what that is, and I don't know if I can articulate it. And I think if I did articulate it, it may kind of like remove the magic. But some of it, something works beyond the like not going out and being prepared and <laughs> yeah. being a weirdo. There's something there. There's something else. Yeah. There's like a little magic thing. Yeah. But I don't know. Is it forever? I mean, what is? Sure. I guess another way of asking that in a more specific and journalistic career sense is like, is interviewing forever? Is this like the medium in which you want to work? It is right now. And I love it. So maybe in five years, I'll have a different answer for you. But do you still want to make movies? Yeah. I don't know if people want to watch them anymore. But yeah. Do you 
work on that? Do you think about that, or is it all this? No, I, I think about it, work on it less than I'd like, but things changed. I mean, now we're doing this show with the good people at Pushkin, and it's... Now it's a job. Yeah, but it's a career. Yeah, I don't think it's a job. My grandfather had a job. You know, my mom had a job. My dad has some kind of hybrid, but no, this is a career. I'm not unaware of that. Do you have a sense of where you want the career to go? You know, I keep thinking about this this question because when you decide to make something and like put it out into the world, it usually comes from a pretty pure place. Like, I have to do this. If I don't do it, I'm going to feel like a schmuck. Right. Okay, like, best case scenario, it goes well. If it goes well, then it expands. And if it expands, then maybe you'll get some health care. Maybe it'll become a job. Maybe you'll have some employees. Maybe it'll work great. You do the best you can. But then it starts going even better. And then it expands more and more. And, and the more it expands and the more people you hire and the more healthcare you, you're thinking about, all of a sudden, it's so far away from the original thing that got you into this in the first place. Yeah. You've lost the purity. It, it just changes. The, and, and, and the goals change and the aims change. And I think, unfortunately, we, we live in the society we do, which is... If it's not ascending, it's almost not worth doing. So it's like, the question is, what is enough? Can you get to a place that you go, we found enough people to listen to the show that if we stay at this rate, we can live on that. But if the goal is, it has to keep growing. And I think in the process of growing, you start making all these kind of editorial concessions the work usually will suffer your standards will dip mm -hmm. because it's expanded and you got to do more and, and have less time to do it this whole ramble is i'm trying to figure out like what is enough for us like does talk easy have to be as big as wtf one, I don't even know if that's possible, but two, I wouldn't want to do the work that he does. Like, I don't want to make that kind of show. And if I had to make a show that's like that to get as big as that, then I don't want to fucking do it because I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that work. But what if it wasn't that the show had to change? I mean, part of the basic like technology here is that you could make the same exact show and many, many, many more people could listen to it without you having to do anything. Absolutely. And if and if we can stay true to the standards we've set and to the like intentions that we, we got into this with, while of course still leaving room for like growth and evolution and that's all fine, then I'm in. But I, I think that's the big question. I've seen this over and over with friends, some of which we share where they get so far down the line and they don't even know what the fuck they're doing. It, like, it's, not, it's not a question of making art anymore. It's a question of like, we got office space to fill. Yeah. And if I wanted to do that, then I, I could have gone and done that. But I'm, I'm trying to make something that I still believe in every week. 
And so far I do. And that's enough. For now. But, you know, I'm also 28 and don't have kids. Yeah. What I heard you talking about was essentially money and the business and trying to grow the amount of money that the show makes. Because the show now is like, is itself a little business? Not even a little. It's I, a business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder if there is also a question about what is enough in the art. Yes. And the answer is, if we get to the end of a taping, that goes really well. Like, we just did this live show uh, in Brooklyn with Min Jin Lee. If you saw me after that taping, you would have thought I'd taken, like, ten edibles. <laughs> and you would have thought, like, what drugs is he on? Yeah. The lightness in which I moved, the like clarity of mind, the gratitude, the like love of being alive in this moment, in this strange fucked up city, I wouldn't have had it any other way. And so long as I can get to that point, then this is worth doing. But the moment like the drug stops hitting, uh-huh then yeah, you know, I have to go find something else. You're in such a nice place. In life or? No, like with the work. Oh. Like, as you've said about 15 times, you're 28. I think I only said it once. and I That's not true. Really? No. Oh, okay. You wouldn't remember anyway, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, you said it a bunch of times, dude. (laughs) All right. No, no. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I like this. Well... I think being able to think about that question of what is enough when you're 28, being able to think about that now, you've got a show that's working, people listen to it, you're getting paid to do it, you somehow can book almost anyone you want. <laughs> we, we cannot. i show you the list of no's. <laughs> it's so long. And to be thinking now about that question of, what do I really need mm. versus what do I think I want versus what am I going to kind of walk blindly into Yes, only to realize that I'm uh, making sure like the water cooler in the kitchen is filled in the office. And that feels rare, man. It feels rare to be able to be thinking about that in the moment that you're in. And so I really want you to hold on to that for like as long as you can be doing that work to think about those three things and being intentional about it like I think a lot of people in the spot that you're in just naturally for like very human reasons don't do that Mm. and think about a graph that like only goes up and to the right and to be thinking about where the like plot of the graph is yes yes that is enough now mm-hmm. damn that's a virtue you know when you're asking me five years ten years what I think uh, people really care about like legacy and posterity and I I don't at all 
to me, it's like, I'm in the moment here with you in this hot box chamber <laughs> without weed. Well, there's weed in you, yeah, but, but with weed, yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to believe in the thing I'm doing right now. I don't want to believe in it tomorrow, but like what I'm leaving behind, I'm not thinking about that. I only care about, am I proud of it in this moment? And if people will listen later on, great. But those questions you're, you're, you're throwing back at me, I've been asking those since I was 21 before that. Those are always the questions, but they're tethered to like really enjoying and embracing the, the moment, like really enjoying being alive. I don't know if that makes sense, but like I enjoy the time here as I'm passing through. I don't want to make concessions where I don't have to. And I want to stay true to the thing that like got me into this in the first place, which is I really love people. I do. And that's why the show, I think, works. I love them when they're fucked up. I love them when they're victorious. I love them when they're a little narcissistic. I love them when they're insecure. And the show, I hope, I pray, like when people listen, there's no judgment on my part. Like, I'm making fun of you for the weed thing, but how many times have I said, I don't care. I love it. Like, I, I have love for you. And so, like, that to me is enough to sustain the show. And I hope it continues to sustain the show. And the moment it doesn't, you know, I'll do something else. I told you you love him. Yeah. Max Linsky, a pleasure. You don't get to end it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, Dad. <laughs> Thank you for doing this, Sam. It was an honor. I'm so sorry at those weed chocolates. You know, no, next time I'll take them. Okay. Deal. Deal. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Our editor this week, who had a, let's just say, unique task in the history of the show, was Gabriella Saldivia. Thanks so much, Gabriella, for everything that you put into this week's episode. Susan Peterson handled the show notes. Thanks to her. Thanks to everyone at Vox with whom we make this show. Thanks, of course, to Sam. His podcast is called Talk Easy. It's from Pushkin. You can find it wherever you're listening to Longform. And I got to tell you, you are going to enjoy these interviews. No one is more prepared than Sam is for these talks. You're going to get something out of it. And also, kind of goes without saying, but man, was he game for pretty weird situation i feel very very grateful that if this had to happen it was with sam finally i just want to thank my dad for many things but mostly that he has promised that if he ever feels that way again even if it's in the middle of the night he's gonna give me a call okay we'll see you next week When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! 
and even checkouts not until four. So because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and four p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex. Terms apply. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline. Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work.